Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. I would just sit at home and like get all the bass lines down for the Sisters of Mercy songs. But then when Nirvana came along, you know, and Nevermind happened, like I just sold a bass, bought a guitar and started a band. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. This week I'm in Gothenburg, Sweden at Studio Berserk with Matthias Noid and Axel Wittbeck, guitarist, vocalist and drummer respectively of the riff-driven heavy band Firebreather. The band will head to the U.S. for the first time in early 2022 with Monolord. Our conversation revolves around the role that touring plays in gaining notoriety and the challenges that come with gaining and building an audience on the road. We also discuss the band's forthcoming, as of yet untitled, third album, which will be released by Riding Easy Records. Let's dive and get heavy. Matthias, welcome to Heavy Hops. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. So you're going to be coming to uh, the U.S. and uh, and Canada the in the spring of 2022. That's exciting. And you're going to be with label mates Monolord. How did that uh, come together? Tell us about that. We became friends in the beginning of 2018. Out of the blue, Espen called me up and asked if we wanted to tour Scandinavia, right? And uh, it was kind of, oh, can you make a decision today? And we were like, well, okay. And uh, so we came on tour with them, uh, had a really good time, and we became good friends. And then we toured together once again back in 2019 in Europe uh, for three weeks. And yeah, uh, like once again, we had a really good time. So it's it's just like super easy. We have like the exact same setup as far as backline goes, and uh, we just dig each other's music. And um, we've just been like really welcomed by their fans too, you know. So it's been great for us. Um, and uh, we're just like thankful that they called us yet again for for this one, you know. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, like we have a new album coming out like i'm not i can't really say when yet because we don't really know but like it'll be perfect for when we come over there you know so so we're we're so pumped for this one yeah and you've also toured canada before so this isn't yeah. this won't be your first time in north america necessarily yeah. how did tell us about that well we're also really good friends with a band called zom from canada uh moncton uh, New Brunswick, and uh, we've toured with them maybe three or four times, I think, like through the years. Uh, really, just well, actually, that's a lie because that was with my other band also. So, um, just came to be really good friends with those guys, and since we had toured Europe a bunch of times, we just said that well, maybe we should just like do a Canadian one, right? So we did that, and um, we had a super fun two weeks over there. Now, touring Canada is a bit different. Like, sure, it's a problem if you have a record because then you, like, got to send them this apology uh, to the state and uh, otherwise you probably probably can't come in. (laughs) Um, So, but, like, in terms of, uh, like, money, it's, like, it's nothing. It doesn't cost anything to get into Canada. 
States, on the other hand, is a bit different. So you got to like gather like a bunch, a, a good pile of money uh, to even like um, try and get in. So uh, it, it, that's why there's not many bands uh, who make the like who take the, the step to do it because it's, it is a big risk and all that stuff. Right. But we've always said like if the if the uh, opportunity presents itself, we, we need to be ready and we want to be ready. And w this is what you want to do, you know. So we're super stoked. Yeah, a lot of bands see that as an opportunity cost, but over time, yeah. uh, especially, I mean, starting with 9 11, uh, that was a start, a, a turning point in terms of the difficulty of getting visas and the costs associated and the loops or hoops that you have to jump through, yeah. even in Sweden. I don't think we've talked about this on the show. So I think it's, if, if you're able to dive yeah. in a little bit into what that process has been like, yeah. uh, as far as like, Uh, obtaining the necessary uh, visas and approval because I think it's uh, it paints an important picture about uh, what it takes uh, yeah. for bands to break in the U.S. if they're from abroad. Yeah, like we we haven't started the process yet, but we've been introduced to some of the hurdles and all that stuff. But um, so I can't talk in detail about it. It's an expensive affair, and it kind of sucks because we're so happy to tour with like all of these American bands that comes here and, and like it's an open door to Europe for, for any band to come here and play, right? And it would just be nice if we, like, you know, it could be the same way, uh, like not a one way, you know? I feel like it's such a bottleneck because there would be so many bands coming over and like Americans could enjoy so many European bands uh, if it wasn't that expensive or difficult to, to, get, to get through, you know? Um, and, and it's like you said, like a lot of bands see these, like this giant cost, uh, but at the same time, it is like an investment, you know? Um, so I feel like if you, if you want to do it, you can do it. You just got to be able, you just got to be ready to, to sacrifice a lot of money first and then like be, just be ready to do it. Like when, when the opportunity comes and we're so happy that that, uh, came past us, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. And you need also your infrastructure in the States. You need a good record label. Yeah. You need and you need something to sell to people. Yeah. You need to acquire the things to yes. sell at the venues too. Yeah. Also, like the infrastructure of touring is so different in Europe because when you tour Europe, like um, included in deals are like accommodations. There will be a meal for you and all that stuff, right? Like, and... What I've heard, like the states, is pretty much like the UK, where you play, and basically, what like in the UK, you have to go and buy your own beer at the bar after your show, and it's just like it's it's not the way it is here in Europe. So we, we're just like used to a different like setup, right? So that's something you have to think about too and plan for and like include in the uh, equation, you know. Mm -hmm. Definitely, Monolord will be like uh, a, a well of. Uh, knowledge for us when it comes to that stuff because they've been over so many times but we're super excited like jesus christ <laughs> you know yeah uh but uh i mean touring canada is uh in some ways a decent primer maybe less so yeah. for the hurdles you have to jump but the actual distances you have to travel yeah um because that's a, a massive hurdle also compared to touring in europe where yeah. your drives aren't as far yeah so um what were your impressions when you toured canada 
actually like Canada's Canada is super uh, similar to to Sweden when it comes to like surroundings like the nature and all that stuff so just like driving the roads that was pretty similar but it was so cool to just like you know like play these venues and like experience the what what the uh, culture is like there you know like the the scene and stuff and having people coming out to the show and and being excited to see us over there was pretty cool of course we were riding on some on that tour because like they've toured so many times uh, in canada and they they've become like a pretty well-known name over there so um but like we've we've always been happy to open up for those guys and like we we always have a good time with those guys so we knew that it would be both an adventure and uh like a fun tour to do career wise like i don't know it's hard to make these decisions too like you want to see the world you want to play shows everywhere but also you got to think about the uh career side of it right so what is it that you want to do do you want to like experience uh the world other countries or do you want to like play shows and like try and get new fans and meet new people you know so you you kind of have to decide and um canada i think was a good like lesson for us uh it, like financially it was a disaster but like uh it was a good experience so now we know what canada is about you know it helps us plan for the next one that's for sure yeah i think there has also been a sort of long-term symptom that fans of music in North America and and the U.S. specifically have experienced because of all uh, all these hurdles, or I think another appropriate way of thinking of it is a lack of access. Yeah, yeah. And so when you frame it that way, all of a sudden people don't have an opportunity on the fan side to be able to see people from other countries if yeah. they are like most Americans and maybe don't have the opportunity to travel to Europe or yeah. outside of um, North America generally. And so uh, for them, they miss out on meeting people from other cultures, sure. having exchanges, and just sort of um, generally broadening their picture through human interaction right, right. instead of like uh, through the internet or just by streaming music. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like my, my, like some of my best moments on tour have been where I've had like awesome conversations with people from like other countries and like other cities. And uh, even when you've slept at home at people's houses, you know, like you get to see like, you, you get a snapshot of their their day you know like it's it's pretty cool and their culture and what like what their home looks like and what they eat for breakfast you know like it's just like this window into people's lives that uh, most people don't get uh, because it's a lot of traveling and you like you you come across so many different people um, so it is a shame exactly what you're saying that you don't get that same you don't get that wide spectrum of like um like the culture of different bands like from different culture uh, countries you know like here if you like if you live in fucking amsterdam like you see bands from everywhere basically you know mm-hmm. um and um and even like anywhere in a country like the netherlands whether they're yeah. like you yeah. have access to all of your all of uh, that part of Europe inside yeah. five hours or yeah. even less. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, and it is it is it's a shame because it's a nice exchange and like it just like enriches everybody's lives and you know like how is it a bad thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know like we can't be so scared all the time. 
Um, there will always be bad people, but like you guys have bad people, like in your home, uh, like in your own uh, country too, right? Sure. So it's just like, I mean, I, I'm not like, uh, I'm just saying like, let's be more open to, 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 to like meet everybody and talk to everybody and like have these nice conversations, you know? Yeah. Let's, I want to flip this on its head a little bit. Yeah. So uh, Sweden is also a country that m you may not have the particularities of getting in yep. like you have the, in the U.S., but the further north you go in Europe, the more expensive it is to even get there yep. in the first place. Yep. The further the distances are, like you alluded yep. to, Canada being similar to Sweden as yep. far as the distances between the cities. And then right. the, uh, you, I guess you could say the further north you go, the fewer the opportunities are. So you have to make yeah. that up coming yeah. back. And it's not like you're going to make a profit running a circle no. around the north of Sweden into Finland. No, no. I mean, to be honest, like you'd be hard pressed to find a good, like a really good tour in Scandinavia, period. Because um, it's like, we're so, we're so closed up here, you know, like people don't get out as much. Uh, it's not the same culture. If you go, if you go down to Germany on a Tuesday and play a show there, like people will come out but like if you play a Tuesday night in Gothenburg or Oslo or wherever it's not going to be the same picture you know it, it's just different and I I can't like point the finger like at what that what like why that is but um I do feel like we like hibernate and uh then come May like you know, April, May, like we come out like out of our fucking shell or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and then come like September, October, we like go back in, you know, and then it's so hard to get people out to shows and whatever it is. Do you think that because there is maybe a reluctance to send tours up north or uh, because it's yeah. hard to get people out uh, in any in most cities? On weekdays, in my perspective, it does limit the opportunities for bands to go up in the first yeah. place, but also it has an impact on the audience here. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think it's probably from both angles because there's also this um, thing where Sweden's always been known for having this strict decibel uh, limit at 100 and I know for a fact that there are bands out there that just bypass Sweden because the, of the fact, you know. And uh, I, I feel like that's that rumor has been spread across the scene. And it, sadly, it, it's true. But uh, it's like that in, in a lot of places down in Europe as well. So I don't know if that's like such a big factor, but I, I can't explain it. It's just hard to get people out on a weekday. For some reason, you know, if it's not like something, hey, Electric Wizard is in, in town, you know what I mean? Then people will come out. But like, there's some good bands coming through uh, here. And uh, I just wish that the scene was bigger, you know. So like, we we, ha we always had a good, like, we always had a hard time uh, booking shows in, here in Sweden for some reason. And that was never a problem for us because we'd always prefer to go down south anyway. So I don't know. When you were uh, younger and your music tastes were sort of formulating, was this sort of inability or l maybe lack of access, we could call it, uh, did you see it as an issue or did it maybe even create an opportunity for you to make that space yourself as a musician? Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. And uh, I was so like 
I was just not aware of how how to go about touring for the longest time. Like I started, like I, my first band came about in like when I was 15, I think. Um, and like I spent so many years just trying to ca like chase that record deal, you know, because in my mind, like you couldn't tour unless you had a record deal. And I had, I had like totally missed this punk wave <laughs> that just like, oh, you know, you sleep at this, like you, you sleep at somebody's house and, you know, like you play a show and you get food and all that stuff. I like that just went above my head. Like I, I didn't know about that stuff. Like my first real tour was like uh, three weeks in Europe in 2011, I think. So it's pretty late. Like, so... I, I don't think I thought about it too much. It was just a fact that nobody could get shows. Like, unless you were, like, some sort of name, you couldn't get shows, you know? Like, unless also it was, one, like, one of these youth clubs or, uh, like, youth venues or whatever it was. So, like, touring, like, the concept of touring uh, was was just, like... It wasn't really a thing, like because if you didn't have that record deal, like nobody thought about touring. <laughs> like at least where I grew up, like nobody, like no bands were thinking about, yeah, yeah, let's set up a tour. Nobody thought like. That. Why was that like an important requisite in your mind? I don't know. I have no idea. It's just like what I thought the, the like how it happened. You know, like you 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 release a, like an album and then you tour. Like you don't do, you don't. You don't book a sh like a tour on on a demo, you know. Like that's how how I thought. You know, I just wish that I would have seen like what the punk bands did sooner. You know, I would have fucking tried that. Like uh, I found this guy Alex from Leipzig on MySpace. We became friends on MySpace. He's now booking for. Uh, he's now an agent on Doomstar Bookings in mm -hmm. uh, Netherlands. And he was just saying, like, fuck, let me try and book a tour for you guys with this uh, Canadian band called Alaskan. And uh, so we did three weeks with those guys. And it was just like this fucking wow experience for me. Like, that's when I knew I had the bug, you know, like, fuck yeah. So ever since then, um, it's just been this thing where, like, if you don't have a tour to look forward to, like, who am I even, you know? When that happened, like the doors just opened up for me, like my, or uh, like my eyes rather. Like I opened up my eyes and I like okay, so this could actually happen. Like my band uh, can go out and tour. Discovering that uh, just just like ignited something in me, and, and like I just knew that this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And when you were going on, and you, you may have to clarify the name of the band that you uh, went that you were touring with uh, in 2011. Yeah, Galvano, and that's yeah. a band you were with uh, for some time. Yeah, I played in that band for maybe 12 years or so. Mm -hmm. Like we were a three piece for the for the most part, but then uh, we had so many bass players coming and going for all, all kinds of reasons um, that uh, we just decided to become a two piece. And we did that for, uh, I don't know, like maybe four or five years or something like that. And then like my longtime uh, drummer and also like, fuck, we're friends since we were seven, uh, just decided to like quit because like he had this new relationship and he wanted to like spend time with her. And, and um, so I tried this new drummer for a year and then like he ended up having some sides that I didn't appreciate. And then I just came to this realization that I don't have it in me to, to look for new like bandmates for this band anymore. I just want to do something else. So uh, like 
I had a couple weeks there where I didn't have a band, and then I just decided to like uh, get in touch with uh, an old friend that had actually played in Galvano for a brief moment, and uh, just like, hey man, do you want to? I'm I'm just gonna start another band. Do you want to? Do you want to play? <laughs> and he did, and uh, that was the start of Fire Breather, like in 2016. So when you made that uh, switch over, so to speak, and started uh, Fire Breather, yeah. What kind of musical uh, ideas were you playing with and what were you trying to do that was a little bit different than Galvano? Well, basically same, but just slower and more space. Like I've always been into riffs, you know, like I, I came up listening to like Twisted Sister, Wasp and all that stuff as a kid, like a seven year old. That's when I found like, you know, like heavy metal. And then I started playing hockey in the next town over, and all those guys were listening to like the deep, the 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 old school goth, like the Sisters of Mercy, you know, like um, Joy Division, uh, The Cure, and all that stuff. So I just soaked in all that stuff, you know, and and just being so inspired by the bass lines of the Sisters of Mercy, I bu I bought a bass. And that's how I came into like playing a band. Not, no, that's not true. Not even in a band, just like playing music that I liked. Because before that, I had played like, you know, the fucking trombone and all that stuff that they want you to play in school, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I would just sit at home and like get all the bass lines down for the Sisters of Mercy songs. But then uh, when Nirvana came along, you know, and Nevermind uh, happened, like, I just sold a bass, <laughs> bought a guitar, and started a band. And so that's what happened, basically. And since then, like, I've never been the guy that, like, sat down and tried to learn the, you know, all the Metallica songs or, like, the Pantera songs or any songs, for that matter. Like, uh, except for the Sisters of Mercy bass lines, you know? You set us on a good course here, though. So tie some of the sort of, like, uh, musical inspirations uh, from when you were younger, if it's possible, yeah. to the sort of uh, genesis of uh, Fire Breather. And it's probably a good time to open up another beer, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, like I said, I, uh, Nirvana came, and uh, Kurt Cobain was talking about bands like the Melvins and uh, Black Sabbath. I just, like, dove into the Melvins and just became a huge fan and they've had such an inspiration on me and like I've, I've i've seen them so many times and like i flew down to the netherlands one year and saw them three times and then saw them in stockholm on the same tour like i was just like so into them and like i saw them live with kevin on bass like and he's he, like he's doing his slide things and all that stuff it's just like fuck this is so heavy but it's like something else you know what i mean and so that's when I started listening to the heavier stuff, basically. Uh, and at the same time, the stoner wave kind of happened in the background of grunge, you know? So I kind of didn't see it, like, when it happened exactly. Like, I had to pass the, the hump of the grunge era to, like, open up the door to, like, Caius and all that stuff, which was another fucking mindfuck, right? So... <laughs> This is all, like, in my teens. So um, that's basically where I come from, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, it's what inspired Galvano, and it's what inspired it, it inspires Firebreather, too. So, But then also I listen to a lot of stuff like, uh, um, fuck, like old uh, soul and funk and uh, Pink Floyd and 
I, I listen to such a wide range of music. Uh, but it's uh, I feel like when you start listening to music in your teens, that's kind of what's going to like send you off it charts you it charts a course right, right? yeah yeah it, I, I don't think anybody can deny that it's it's just what happens right mm -hmm. and especially in those uh in those formative years uh you're growing like uh personally quite a bit like really rapidly a lot of fucked up shits happening to yeah. you that you don't know about and yeah. you can't control and yeah. it's weird um and so i think music yeah. uh tends to play like a pretty disproportionate uh role in people's uh sure. in people's livelihood yeah, and music too. Like it has this like strange ability to bring you back to to like past moments. You know, like you hear a song and you're like, oh fuck that thing that happened like when I was 19 or whatever. You know, it sets you on this path. And uh, of course, like if if you if you're dumb, you're gonna keep your blindfolds on and like just like stay on that narrow path. But like if you're smart, you open up your eyes a bit and see that there's so much other stuff out there. And if you like can combine that stuff with the stuff that you came up loving, you know, like that's probably your band. Right. And there's so many different ways that uh, that bands sort of incorporate uh, different elements from different genres yeah. and different musical times and uh, politics and all the other things that are non-musical also play like different roles depending on the on the band and the the subject matter they're choosing to talk about um but it is important and i think one of the things that uh that interests me in galvano for a while and that caught me about uh fire breather is the fact that there is an interesting sort of interplay that melody has mm -hmm. with uh the massive riffs that you throw down mm -hmm. and it's uh different in so many ways from how we could hear uh melody in a uh in a band like uh high on fire or even how you hear melody in like black metal music there's mm, yeah. that that stuff is uh, like insanely musical and so uh like it it can it comes from it can it all comes from different places for people yeah. and it uh and it sounds totally different uh when put over like you know a lot of riffs too yeah it's an interesting angle and i think i think it has to do with the fact that like just having all those like uh, um goth bands in like like coming up you know like they, they they have this way of setting the mood you know like and there is always this melody in the back of it and uh i i, I just feel like that's what kind of stuck with me probably and um and like if you add that on to you know like i can't sit around a table and, and deny the fact that i fucking love caius and like ha like how it it's it's inspired me and like in my it, riffs, it's evident you know? that like, you do yeah. you know and i mean <laughs> like but if you add some things on to that like and you take it from like you come at it at a different angle it can be an exciting thing, you know. It's it's a hard thing to like come up with something brand new, like that nobody's ever heard before. Some bands do, and all, all power to them. But like, I'm just such a big lover of riffs and uh, a good melody that uh, trying to combine the two and if like if you can find like a groove in that, like that's I'm I'm sold, and that's what kind of what we're doing. Um, fight so fire breather started and. The guy that I started Fire Breather with was like he came in on bass, uh, 
and we were searching for a drummer and like you cannot find a good drummer that doesn't have three other bands already it's just not possible i mean tommy uh, he's just this guy that like he, he picks up his like an instrument and he, he just rule rules at it so he like he could play bass he, he plays fucking guitar better better than me he like he's a killer thrash drummer so he was just like well fuck it what if i play the drums and then we go look for a bass player instead and so that's what we did and we found this we found this canadian guy guy that we played with for four years and then from one day to another he wasn't in the band anymore and um this was actually like right at the beginning of the pandemic so kind of a blessing in disguise but like at the time we were freaking out you know because we were just started to write this we we're starting to write this new album we had just come off the tour with monolord like like the european tour so we spent like uh maybe six months like trying out other guys out with we did a show in denmark at a festival with mika mika stepped in and did the, like a show with us so that was great uh and then we just found nicholas and he's just this like old school like fucking rush deep purple you know kind of bass player like with the fingers and all that stuff and it's just it adds such a new um groove to our riffs so i'm excited for people to hear this new album that's coming out like later I, I'm sure the Rush and also the Cayuse fan in you was pretty stoked to be able to uh, have that additional sort of paintbrush in your palette. For sure. I mean, like being a fan of Scott Reeder for like a thousand years, just like seeing Nicholas play and uh, like granted, he hasn't played this genre like um, for a long time, but he's like just digging in and like loving it and doing his thing with it. So it's really really cool yeah and people that come from different uh genre backgrounds yeah. uh, often add a, a pretty unique uh, perspective yeah, for sure and we all do come from different like um directions too i mean axel's been heavy into the hardcore scene for for many years which like I, that's just like out of my i mean i i listen to some of the uh no effects bad religion sex pistols stuff you know some ramones but like i've never been into the punk like the punk hardcore scene at all basically um so it's just like fresh and it's just yeah i think it like infuses these parts that i don't have and like together that can create like this cool thing you know you're listening to Heavy Hops. We'll have more from Matthias Noid of Firebreather in a minute. There are a few things happening in the world of Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra I want to share. We're doing a series of co-promoted shows at The Empty Bottle in the run-up to the next Scorched Tundra Festival. You can find tickets and information about these events at scorchedtundra.com slash tickets. We've also created a crowdfunding source for all things Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra. If you love what we do and want to support us, Find the donate link in the episode notes and give what you'd like. Giving any amount will grant you access to our growing Discord community. Thanks for this moment. For the second part of our conversation, Matthias Noid of Firebreather and I are joined by the band's drummer, Axel Wittbeck. We are back. Yes. Matthias. And now Axel, uh, also of Firebreather, has joined us. Welcome, welcome to the back nine of uh, this Heavy Hops episode. Thank you. <laughs> So we left off at the, a really, really interesting point uh, that I want to jump back into, and that is when 
as a Swedish band, and I think the media sort of perpetuates, uh, uh, media and bands alike perpetuate this in interviews and things like that. But I think there's a little more to this conversation about where, uh, what it takes to get out of Sweden and to get to those points where you can actually like get a deal when touring is really hard. So we identified like a couple of important parts of the, of what happens to bands in Sweden. And that is like, you yeah. start with subsidized uh, music spaces. Sometimes you get music yeah. lessons outside of your, uh, outside of like the school yeah. agenda, you get yeah. to skip math class. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's post school day. Like it's after school. Okay. <laughs> I guess I talk to people that skip math class and just, uh, yeah, played it off exactly. like it was an official well, policy, yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah. you and then you have the youth center. So uh, yeah. so this is for people for younger people that can go to an alcohol free, drug free environment yeah. and uh, you know go with other people their age in their community and see bands play and uh, have an awesome time yeah. uh, in a safe space, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but at a certain point, you get a little uh, too old to play in those places. Yeah. So, uh, what happens at that point? Well, exactly what I did was, uh, I moved here and, uh, to move here, I just like enrolled to this, uh, Catholic, uh, school. I, I don't know what that's called in, in English, but like, this is where you go if you want to, like, if you didn't pay enough attention, uh, in actual school, you can like enroll for this and you can like improve your uh, uh, grades and all that stuff mm -hmm. and then maybe you can enlist to uh, enroll to wherever so i came here and i enrolled and i got a spot at the school and so uh, i came here a year before my other bandmates and uh, the idea was that we were going to try and make it <laughs> and uh, so we came here and we played two sh like two shows or whatever like at the venues where we thought that's that this is where you make it and that didn't happen of course and so after that it's just this like endless chase uh, for venues or even promoters like who books at this uh, venue or whatever but like it, it, like the chance of you getting a show is just uh, s slim because even like when when bands come here, it's just like people don't come out, right? Like like we talked about before. I I, I think we have that on tape, right? <laughs> there's something that happens here where people yeah, don't like coming out gap. on weeknights. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like like we talked about after these youth um, centers, like there's this gap where bands don't have anywhere to play anymore and um and sweden is extra hard to to book shows in and it's always been a fact uh in my case and what most bands just do is they look south and the next step is like germany and these hot, um squats like these squatted places yeah. and it's basically you you go down and you play your show and then the like the mattresses that were actually soundproofing the windows it's it, that's what you're going to sleep on they for pull the them night. off the hooks yeah, and then yeah, they're <laughs> exactly. that's what you, you, and you, you you're sleeping where you just played your show mm -hmm. so that's what happens for a lot of bands and uh, a, a lot of bands get like um just uh lost in their tracks and they just keep doing this the same, same tour 
over and over again and don't look to uh, like uh, elevate you know i mean we've always had this idea that we want to do like a better tour a better tour like we want to have this like like this growth um all the time and um so and i think you, like at some point you got to just like decide what what what, what do you want to do like do you want to keep touring these places do you want to keep playing these squats mm -hmm. and i'm not shitting on these squats because they serve a, like an awesome purpose you know oh yes uh but like it's it's also a stepping stone to something else mm -hmm. and um like if you don't see it as a stepping stone and if you just keep doing it you, you're probably not gonna end up anywhere yeah so uh, i want to pull you in axel so you uh came up with like a bit of a hardcore background and yeah. this was this was music you identified with um was there something uh that you picked up from the sort of squat culture being a part of that genre that you then uh integrated into what you thought like touring should be like as well uh, not more than like the whole do-it-yourself thing. Like it's possible to tour a lot if you want to, but at the same time, it's harder to elevate from that level. I guess from getting getting off from the the squatting tour level. I guess in some way, I think that's the main thing I learned and I took with me. Like it's possible, but yeah. like Matthias says, like when you come to a level where you are. It's possible to book other shows and other like venues and tours and stuff with like okay we can get off, get off this route to play this route again I guess we get stuck like we have to level up yeah all the time <laughs> in some ways I think that's the drive like you got to you got to try and do better tours all the time you know like either you're in it or you're in it to like you can play bands for so many reasons. Like maybe the reason is just to like get together on a Tuesday night and have a fucking awesome time in a jam space, right? Yeah. But also there are these <clears throat> other um, ways to do it. Like uh, you can maybe you want to tour as much as you can. Maybe you want to tour like a couple weeks a year or whatever. So you kind of have to decide what you want to do. Yeah. And I feel like if you know what you want to do, you you gotta like realize that and then try to. To make it happen it, if you don't like know like if you don't have the tools or if you don't know what like how to come about that maybe you can talk to some other bands or whatever but i just feel like there's so many bands that get stuck in this route like they're touring the same cities every year it's like the same tour uh, tour uh, circle all the time um so but for us it's always been like let's do this fucking let's let's make the next run better than the last one sure i want to drill into that a little bit yeah. so what does that look like for a band like fire breather in one way these are and like these are pursuits that you have to do on your own right whether whether it's like okay we've done this squat run maybe on the nights where we saw we had uh, a better uh, like a, a better draw we can try to do something a little bit yeah. bigger and then you incrementally get out of yeah. it um but there's also like an outside uh click that has to happen right sure, so how sure. did that happen for fire breather it's a fact like all promoters uh, know what each other are, are doing yeah. so if you if you do like a tour and you're charging a certain amount of money or whatever and um the next tour you you want it to be better and you want the next one after that to be better and uh, and you know like then you got to set a standard for yourself like what are we going to agree like what are we going to accept are we are we going to play for two beers each or are we gonna like you got to decide where you want to put your bar like 
do we play a show for this this amount of money, you know, or do we play a show for this amount of money? Like, if that's your thing, if that's where you want to go, if you want to escalate or whatever. Uh, we just decided that, well, um, we're not going to do these types of shows anymore uh, that's on this certain tier because we know it pays this amount of money, right? Yeah. And so if you just try and set like a standard for yourself i feel like we feel like that's uh the right way to go about it because if you know like there's so many promoters out there they're just trying to lowball you all the time like yeah. uh, can we get you for for this and this amount of money you kind of have to figure out is it worth playing this show for this amount of money and in some cases it is like for example a well-known festival in london that happens every year you know, like if you get a low ball, like if you get a shitty offer, it might still be worth going there and play that show because it's going to be a fucking fantastic, ex yeah. fantastic exposure for your band, right? But as a whole, like on a tour, if you're booking a tour, like you got to cert you got to kind of decide where you want to be. Like, how low are you are you um, able to go, and how like wh where do you want to be? And I mean, the, that doesn't like have anything to do with the outside factors that you mentioned. But like, I feel touring, in my opinion, is not so much about quantity but quality. Like, I want I want to do better tours all the time. If I'm going to play the same like same cities, same venues all the time, it's it's going to become boring <laughs> after a while, you know? Yeah, and also it's a question of deals. Like, the money thing is like, it's fucking boring to pay up. And get nothing back all the time. You want to level in that, in like in, in deal wise to be sure not to fucking come home and like, okay, so I have to save like double the money. <laughs> all yeah, <laughs> it's like we know that we're not going to live off of this uh, as it is. But like, also, I, I, I like I have no intention to go down and like and play Europe for for so so and so many weeks and and then like sleeping on fucking. I've done that for, for a lot of years and I'm just not doing it anymore. Maybe you want to do that. Maybe you want to like uh, level up a bit or I don't know what you want to do. But like for us, it's always been try to make the next run even better. Like and it's not about like, oh, let's get as much as money. Well, it is because it's not fucking cheap to be in a band. But like nobody goes home like, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no. spreading their money when they come home after a tour. I mean, the goal could be to like get away from that sense yeah, just as far like, away from it as possible. Yeah, having yeah. a be like a better experience, um, yeah, more comfy, and you know, sound better on stage. You know, like because the fucking venue actually has a good system. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. It, it like it's more fun. Yeah, and e like even for us when we've toured with uh, other bands, you know, it's just like shows you uh, a different level, just a different like oh this is the way it can be too you know like you can be treated nicely and it can be a nice thing for everybody and but of course then then your band needs to have a certain kind amount of pull you know that's mm -hmm. what that's what it's about absolutely and there's something to be said even bands of uh larger scale experience this but for very different reasons and that more has to do with actual availability of yeah. the venues of the size that they play yeah. so you may see uh large bands that draw like a thousand people actually play the same venues over and over again because yeah. the big the ju the next jump is to 3000 exactly. and that's a you know that's a massive uh, jump in comparison yeah. to going 200 yeah, to 500 yeah. 500 to 600 to 800 yeah. 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 yeah so i think that 
there's like a lot of different uh, factors that can impact you depending at the level uh, of band that you are in terms of your stature and your draw. For sure. Exposure is always good to take into consideration. You know, like you may get a crappy deal from a festival or whatever, and then it might be a good idea to take it. But like, if you're going to play like a Tuesday somewhere and you get, you know, next to nothing and it's not going to pay for your gas to the next city or whatever, then like... You got to figure something out. You got to like, how do we get to the next step and all that stuff? And it, it's, a, it's, fuck, it's different for everybody, I feel like. But our goal was always to, to try and like get to the next one, get to the next one. Like, let's, let's try and make that better than the last one. Yeah. You know? And all, it, like, it, it's, it's fun for us too, because when we were out with Monolord, for example, it just required us to like step up to a different level. Yeah. And, you know, like we got to, deliver every night like on a on a certain level you know like there's like times to be uh considerate of and all that stuff it, it's got to work like a like a well-oiled machine you know you learn so much from touring with other bands like yes. that are like uh, above you you know and you learn these trades and like these tricks and all that stuff to make your own experience better yeah axel so for you uh what were some of the things that you've learned from leveling up as far as maybe the bands that you're going out with or things that you've that you've seen that uh can help uh contribute in that stepping stone process i mean i think it's like a thousand things to uh uh, reconsider and like think about when touring and, and when you see it like this professional that you can uh do tours with bands of a certain size all of them are good to learn and like I, like I have never seen a lot of them before like happen on tour and okay so we have to think about this as well of course I mean some years ago maybe I thought like yeah we can take care of that but also like nowadays uh, I think I've grown more like I want to have it like comfortable and uh, being able to just deliver on stage if possible that makes this like you have to uh, think of maybe a driver, maybe a merch person and stuff like that. And like, that's also like things you have to pay. So that's also a reason for like, okay, if you want this comfort on tour with all these things uh, you can think of and do proper if you want, you have also to do like better deals. And I mean, if that's possible, I want to do it. There was an interesting uh a picture that a local promoter here in Gothenburg painted for me. And that was of uh, a well-known band called Sabaton. And apparently in their office, they have a map of the world, which um, does not have World War II diagrams on <laughs> it. Basically, it has uh, a map of the world, different colored pins. The pins mean different things, right? So the red pin may mean that uh, this is a place where they've toured too much and they need to put the gas pedal on. The yellow pin means that they've been static there. The green pin means like they need to go back there and demand demand more money. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a thing about overstaying your welcome and uh, you got to take that into consideration too. The thing about staying like in a certain tier and if we're talking about like squats and stuff, it's just that it's it's really hard to um, basically 
sell merch and stuff because there's a lot of people coming to your shows that don't have any money you know what i mean and also like if you're touring a certain country you might not do well on merch sales but it's just good to to get out and touring and like like if you know bands that have toured a lot it's stupid to try and invent the wheel again like just ask your friends that have toured a thousand times and like see if you can get like some tips or whatever and i feel like that's what we've been doing and yeah. we've learned a lot from other bands um and new places and new routes and yeah all that yeah how to plan your route just a thing like that you know like like do you have a crew with you like who's driving the van like is it the bass player and and the next venue is eight hours away and he's gonna deliver a good show after that drive you know like yeah he's probably fucking tired you know yeah. I, i mean i've done it you you learn as you go Yeah, there's something uh, to be said for this being a bit like an onion. The more layers you kind of unpeel, the more you yeah. find, yeah. and the more sort of wrinkles and complexities yeah. that there are to it. And you can do so much on your own, but having that opportunity to go with the band that's put in the reps and put in the time yeah. uh, allows you to uh, level up kind of in a different way. Yeah, and you can kind of shortcut through some of the like the issues that um, that otherwise would have you know maybe it takes a long time to yeah learn and just going back to like touring the states for us now it's just like fuck we're so fucking excited but like there's so many things that we need to take like taking consideration you know like venues taking a percentage of your merch and all that stuff like that's all new to us so we got to like figure out that stuff and it's all new for everyone else yeah all three of us yeah i mean we we're gonna learn uh Ton. And I just wanted to say that too because we, we we kind of touched on it like before that most bands don't tour the states for obvious reasons. Uh, but this now when because we have so many like fans from the states that always go like oh fuck it would be so awesome if you could could come to fucking Pennsylvania or like Chicago or whatever and like yeah <laughs> yeah it would be awesome you know what I mean but mm -hmm. it's 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 it's, it's a tough one right. Yeah. But now being able to say we're actually coming to you, yeah. so show up. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you, you put yeah. the onus on those yeah. people that are yeah. the keyboard warriors, yeah. right? Yeah. We haven't really talked about music so much in the way of your own music that you've put out. So I yeah. do want to touch uh, a little bit on that as we sort of widen the conversation out. So you've got uh, two albums under your belt: uh, 2017 self-titled album "Under a Blood Moon." 2019 yeah. the latter of which came out on riding easy the former coming out on suicide records a awesome gothenburg based uh label yeah. you alluded earlier to a new record whose uh release date is uh, is forthcoming but uh yeah. what can we sort of expect from that and what was your sort of uh what's your experience been like uh in the recording and in the construction of that album I think well, we talked about this, and like it's hard to yeah. put a finger on it. I I think this is kind of uh, in the same direction, maybe as Under Blood Moon, but for me less metal. It's dark, but it's more like rock, maybe. Yeah, it's doom, but I mean, I think it's both heavy and I don't know. It's not that metal, anyways. Yeah, for me, we've like since like already after the self-titled uh, album, we kind of decided to try and just merge like heavy, heavy, heavy stuff like sludge, doom, or stoner with like a groove. 
And um, that ha- kind of happened, I think, on Under a Blood Moon. And now having Nicholas played on the this new one just takes us more into that like groovy part of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's still like very dark in some places, but to me it's like it's it's kind of cathartic and um like a journey almost you know like um i feel like there are some heavy heavy places in there but it always takes you somewhere there, there it's it's just like a bunch of riffs <laughs> <laughs> it's all cc top in the end <laughs> you alluded to this uh this riff filled journey what's the end point of the journey? Well, I can say this much. This is going to be a single album, uh, A and B side. We challenged ourselves on this one because otherwise we've like, uh, we haven't been bothered with like time, you know, like the length of a song or anything like that. On this one, we kind of like said, okay, well, let's make an A and a B side and that'll be the album, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's got six songs on it. So, like we trimmed off a lot of fat to me also it's kind of more like straight to the point uh maybe not like uh coming back to some certain places that we've been before in the song like it's more like yeah we cut away a lot it's all so that we can end up on the radio yeah (laughs) (laughs) what were some of the what were some of the things that uh that you cut and were those things that you cut maybe things that you would have kept in the past Yes, uh, exactly. And um, like being uh, like a Pink Floyd fan and stuff like that, it's always been intriguing to like do these like long masterpieces, you know what I mean? Like where like this part takes you to this part and that part takes you to that part. And that's kind of what I did with Galvano as well, if, like we talked about before. But with this one, we just decided to like keep it simple, keep it fucking groovy, but also fucking heavy. So I would say that's what, like kind of represents yeah, totally. the album. I think it felt very good. Like when we cut those those parts away, yeah. it's a lot of minutes we cut away. We only looked for the like the most, maybe the most repeating parts yeah. to get away to make it more compact and feels more like a, a unit. We were just like actually thinking about the fact that do we need to get back to this part? Yeah. You know, like haven't we already been there? Does yeah, it add yeah. anything to the song to to come back to it? Having the time limit limit of forty minutes, twenty minutes per side is uh, is a those are confines. Yes, yeah. that's just a fact. Like you can't be on, like go beyond that, or it's gonna start sounding like shit. It, it also sounds like you can view them as confines, right? But you can also view them as opportunities yeah. to explore yeah. how you're going to uh, get to that point, yeah. and if you're talking about succinctness or if you're talking about introducing brevity or moving forward or moving in a direction instead of like uh running around in circles or having like a seven minute outro with the same riff that uh occurred before with like a little like twang over it for the for the final three and a half minutes like uh so that's something that people aren't going to be able to hear on this album. No, we have nothing like that at all. And also, I mean, limits kind of creates um, creativity, you know? Yeah. I think and so. so I think that's what happened yeah. to us on this one. We um, have these uh, ideas we have to put together and uh, we can't do it forever. Yeah. Makes you think in other ways, yeah. And uh, it feels good. Yeah. Do you have any sort of... Um, 
closing thoughts for the audience or things that you're uh, looking forward to, obviously, touring and putting out an yeah. album? I want to meet you all, <laughs> but also uh, keep rocking in the free world. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who's brewing our beer. <laughs> you know, who's brewing the fire breather beer? Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that's put the- it out there. Yeah. Well, I guess on the next episode of Heavy Hops, right? Exactamundo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Axel, Matthias, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Good times.